0: With this statement because I think it's super important during the summer in the Psalms. I believe it is the, the, the purpose. A lot of what Psalms talks about is just this. It's Jesus's call is transformation of life, not affirmation of identity. So everything that we've been talking about through the, the book of Psalms, it is not to change who you are as far as the identity that God has given you. It is to change and transform the life that God has put inside of you. God does not want to just fix the outside and make you all look and, and act the same way. He wants to change the inside so that there's healing and wholeness, so that what comes out is a genuine representation of who he is. Everybody can be different. Some people are loud and obnoxious. Some people are quiet and meek, and, 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 and they're more background people. Some people uh, are big on sports. Some people like crafts. Our personalities are what God has designed and sometimes we think that we have to come to church and we all have to look cookie cutter and we all have to look like, like what Christian looks like, whatever that means. And, and, and we realize, at least I realized very quickly, that God cares less about what the outside looks like to, to most extent. There's obviously some, uh, you know, some areas in that where we could talk about, but for the most part, like the song said, we don't ask God to change us from the outside in, we ask him to change us from the inside out. And, and the reason why a lot of people walk away from God or walk away from church is because they're, they're, they're looking for an outward change when God is saying, I want to deal with your heart. I want to deal with the inward part of you so that your life can find fulfillment and peace right. and purpose. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, says this, without worship, we go about miserable. I love that. Without worship, we go about Miserable. And, and, and here's the thing. So many times we think of worship and we think of the music and we're like, well, how do we, like, I can't just like listen to worship music 24-7. Like, you're right. You know, you got a job, you got family. I mean, if you just listen to worship 24-7, that would be uh, pretty obnoxious to maybe somebody who's on the phone with you or if you're at work or, you know, those kind of things. You see at school and your teacher's like, hey, will you listen to me? And you're like, no, I got to listen to worship music. Sorry. Um, like, that's, <laughs> I, you know, try getting that phone call as a parent. Your child won't shut worship music off. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not gonna, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say to that. Um, but that's not what it's mean. And I think that that's the point is that so many times in modern church, when I say the word worship, we go straight to music. And it goes back to that song. And I, I probably will reference this over and over and over again, is that worship is something that happens on the inside before it ever happens on the outside. So I wanna give you two uh, sets of scriptures in the book of Psalm that are going to be kind of our foundation for worship this morning. Psalms 145, one through three. He says this, I will exalt you. I will worship you, my God and my King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. And then Psalms 100, one through five says this, shout with joy to the Lord. So here's the deal. Anybody ever thinks church is supposed to be quiet, they have not read the Bible. Because so many times it says, shout, shout, make a joyful noise. This, these aren't like quiet moments. Like, like there's a, holy, a holiness to God and there's a holy moment sometimes where we need to be reverent and quiet before him. And then there's times where he's like, listen, I need y'all to get loud. I need y'all to worship. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to be the, like, as, if you're timid in here, you're not going to get to heaven and be like, oh, God. Because your soul won't know quiet. Like, here's the thing that I know about God is that when, when you really, 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 really connect to God, something inside of you cares, care, could care less what anybody else thinks. I heard it said this way. Uh, I heard one person say, I want to get so lost in God that I could care less to ever find my way out. I love that statement. Like you want call me whatever you want. Like a Jesus freak isn't like a negative to me, it's a badge of honor. Being that weird Christian that that believes in miracles, like okay, cool. Like <laughs> say something hurtful, I guess. I don't know. Because that, that doesn't hurt me. Like uh, you, it, people say, "Well, believing in God's like believing in Santa Claus." Well, you listen, then I guess I believe Santa Claus is absolutely 110% real. Because I believe God is 110% real. And if, that's the, if, that's, if that's the level you are, then I believe in the tooth fairy and the Easter Bunny too. I don't know. Some of you are like, the tooth fairy isn't... Just saying. I've never caught him. I've never... I, that'd be kind of cool to catch him though one day. But we're going to be really shocked when we get to heaven and we're like, oh. Because our souls will not react in a timid way, well, I wasn't really a big worshiper in church. God's going to be like, you don't get it. This is just practice. This is just the, like, we're just, we just scratched the surface of what worship's going to be like in heaven. We, we will. I believe that, 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 that the experience in heaven, like, if we could just feel it for a moment here, insanity would probably consume us. Because we would be longing for that for the rest of our life. Man, I've been in in the presence of God so real and so thick, where I'm just like, I don't ever want this to end. And the reality is, is that that when we do that, when we when we experience, when we taste that for just one moment, we go, I would never want to give anything else to my life but this. So he says, shout to the Lord, or shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth and these two scriptures, they, they set a foundation of what worship looks like and what it sounds like and what it feels like. But can I tell you that worship is a time when you focus on God and choose to do things that honor and respect him. Worship is, 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 is saying, God, I honor you with what I'm presenting to you right now. And, and we're gonna get into what that means a little bit. But here's the thing, and, and, and you'll see it up here, but I believe if you had to define worship with, without the dictionary, it would be worth shift. It's when we shift the worth of things in our life. It's when we say, I value something over everything else. And it's, listen, I... <laughs> I I think in church, I I couldn't imagine walking up to somebody and being like, hey, I'm going to make you answer this question right in front of everybody and go, uh, you know, what's number one in your life? And anybody in this room say anything other than God because that's what we're trained to do, right? (laughs) Like, oh, God, I'm in church. I better, God, of course, God's number one. But without speaking about it, I just want you to think and settle in your heart for a minute. Is he? Is he? Because I know in my life, I have allowed him to slip from that top spot at times. I've allowed myself to get comfortable in church and comfortable in my faith to where he kind of like trickles down and he's he's there. Like I wouldn't go and just run away from him, but I wouldn't say that he is at the forefront. He's at the passion and the purpose of my driving life because we get busy in life. And oh, I've got to love my wife and I've got to love my kids and I go to work and I and I do all these things that i that, that that is a part of my life. And, and somehow God just kind of trickles down into this this aspect of of who he is. And he just he just kind of sits there. And it's funny that when when I do that in life, when God kind of fades away from that top spot, it's also when I get frustrated with things. I get frustrated with church and church people. I know I'm the only one that does this. I'm not calling any of you sinners or anything like that. Um, I'm sure none of you have ever been frustrated with me or anybody in this church. You guys are all perfect people. It's just me, okay? (laughs) I will take the brunt of that. But here's the thing. Is that, is that when I, and it's never, if I'm putting God first and foremost, I, I go, you know what? People are human, and I can accept people for being human. And I start to look past those things because God is my focus. But when God just starts to become like, oh yeah, he's God, he's cool, like whatever. And I just go about my day, and, and he's not the driving portion of my life. Man, then I start to look at all of everybody else's faults. I'll start to look at the church's flaws. I start to look at my I'm like, man, man. Oh. I start to look outside this world, and I'm like, this world's horrible. People are messed up. And I take my eyes off of the purpose that God has for my life. But when God is first, when I shift the worth back to him as the priority, it changes my life. It is a choice to shift who gets the worth in my life. You have a choice. Who gets priority? Can I tell you this? My wife is secondary to God. As she should be. If you're in a relationship, your significant other, husband or wife, boyfriend or girlfriend, fiance, whoever they are, should be second to God. Because if not, they become your God. Think about this. In a relationship that that you, you get into, what if they said, you know what, I... I just don't want to go to church anymore, or 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 you start to talk about finances, and they go, you know, I just, you know, I just, I always think that the church is messed up for taking money, and and I think that they're always doing wrong with it, and so we're not going to give. And you're like, ooh, I don't, no, nah, that doesn't feel right. Like that's that's not okay. Where your worth is, you're going to follow. So if your worth is in your significant other, and they're like, well, I think we need to do this, you're going to go, oh, 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 I don't agree, but okay. Whereas you, if your worth is God for first, everything else has to take a secondary nature. And so you will put checks to that. No, 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 no. God is first and foremost. And so as we go as a family, we will serve God. We will give to God. We will, we will serve the community. We will love people with God's love, not based off of what they've done to us, but because who God is. Can I tell you that that is the checking point of everything? When God is first, it's not about what, who people are or what people do. It's about who God is. So it's not that they don't deserve maybe to be checked. You don't understand what they said to me. You're right. And in human nature, you might have a say to say something to them. But God says, pray for your enemies. God says... That, that, that you should pray for them with them. God says that you should love your enemy. And these are all things that go counterculture to everything. And when God is first, when his worth is first, you will follow his lead because you will trust him. But when he's not, it's just like, Ugh, I wanna, I'd rather sock them in their face. Where's your worth? Where's your worth given? So I've just got a few points. I've got less than four. You want to guess how many that means? My first point is this. Worship is focus on God. Worship is a focus on God. I praise his name. I make his goodness and glory known. I enter his presence and power. I exalt God. This isn't about me. Worship was never meant to be. All aspects of worship was never about you. So when you come to church and you're sitting here and you're, and, and, and the, the musical aspect of worship starts, the, the congregational act of worship starts, and you go, Oh, this song. They suck at this song. Oh, again. Oh. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the worship team. My question is, is God worthy of the praise no matter what we sing? We did a hymn today. That is not normal for us. Some of you are like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Some of you are probably going, Lord, what happened to them? Nonetheless, it is not about you. When you make worship about you, you become God. When you make worship about your emotions, well, God, I just can't worship you to this song. I need worship to have a piano. I need worship to have drums. And, and, and I need worship, you know, what? Or, or, or maybe you're, you know, there's churches that are like, worship can't have any instruments. It's funny how we put like things in boxes and then we expect God to be okay with that. And we're like, well, God, worship's gotta be this and worship's gotta be this. And he's like, shut up, who defined worship? I did, not you. Worship was never, worship is the one thing in all of Christianity that has nothing to do with you other than you give it to God. So it's not about your feelings. It's not about your, like you, I've heard people say this, and and I'm not knocking you because um, if you've ever said this, because I've said this, but people go, man, worship was good. I was just emotionally there. Shut up. Worship is not an emotion, it can lead to emotions. But if you are defining your worship to God based off of how you feel, sadly enough, you will not feel God most of the time in worship services like that. There are moments where God like invades that space and just overwhelms us in emotion. But there's a lot of times where you're just like, man, I walk away and my spirit is uplifted. My, my, I know that God was worshiped. I know that I gave him everything I could to give him honor and glory. Because at the end of the day, worship is focusing on God and giving him his glory. It was never meant to make you feel good. Now, here's the thing I love about God is in the midst of worshiping and giving him glory and giving him honor and giving him the praise that is due to him. He is so good that he will turn around and he will bless you with the things that fill us up in the middle of worship. Those emotions sometimes, those overwhelming excitement, the, the, the feeling like you're just feeling sin and hurtfulness and, and, and pain and, and miracles happening in your life. God is that good that in the middle of him being worshiped, he will pour out on us. But he doesn't have to. If you never felt another thing in a worship service, but you gave all of yourself to God in those moments, you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, and God is gonna bless you because of it. Because the worship, worship is focused on him. It's not about me, my feelings, my circumstances. Well, you know, oh, I've got money in the bank, I can worship God. What if you were negative 50 in your account? Could you still worship God? See, once again, it goes back to where's your worth? You look at Job. Job literally would sit on the ground and he would take a piece of pottery and he would sit there and dig out the nasty boils on his body with a nagging wife sitting there going, why don't you just curse God and die? And in the middle of it, he was going, God, you're good. What, what part of any of that sounds good? You took my 10 kids. I was the richest man on earth. I just won the $1.3.4 million, billion dollar lottery. I had a whole lot of kids. I, I, life was great. All of that was taken away. Now, all I've got left is an annoying wife and some boils and a broken piece of pottery digging in my skin. And yet, he never cursed God. He worshipped him. Worship is not about your circumstance. Oh, if I felt better, if I, if my health wasn't better, if what, what if? And 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 listen, this is i have do. Oh, I got, to be very careful about how I step in here because I'm not a name it and claim it preacher. I am not a prosperity preacher by any stretch of the imagination. But what if God is waiting for you to worship Him for Him to unlock some of the things He wants to do in your life? Like He's sitting there going, "Man, I really I want to bless John outside of his. Like I want to bless his socks off, but he is so focused on himself that I can't." I need him to get out of the way, and, and he, I need him to put me first. Sometimes we need to reevaluate where, where the worth is and, and, and realize that worship is focusing on God. Less of me and more of him. When I focus on God, I worry less. I stress less. I don't try to have all the answers to everything, but trust the one that I put my hope and focus on. When you worship God, almost categorically, you, worship, you worry less, and you stress less. I will make this about music for a moment because I believe that it is an avenue that God uses. In your most stressful time, I challenge you, put worship music on. I guarantee you, like I I can stand up here as a pastor and guarantee you that if you allow the worship music to do what worship music does, you will take a deep breath and, and, and you will start to see things literally melt off of your spirit because you will start to shift the worth of your circumstances to God you're struggling with something, put worship music on and just worship him. And you will, re- like I promise you, like almost every single time that I've done it, it shifts the focus of what I am focusing on back to God and going, okay, you know what, God, you got this. Psalms 27:8. my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Don't you realize God is literally speaking to us saying, I want to spend time with you. The God of all universe, the God who created you, the God who knows your DNA, who who spoke earth into existence. He says, John, I want to spend time with you. Like you, not 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 your family, not your wife, not like some place. I want to spend time with you. How incredible is that. God comes out in the middle of of, of putting deer and Bass and all of that together. Gerald has like a little man cave that is amazing. And he's really good at an art form. And in the middle of that, God comes out and goes, Hey, while you're doing that, let's chat. My son, I want to spend time with you. That God says, I want to come down and I want to walk and talk with you like I did with Adam and Eve. And he just waits for a response. Do you carve out time for God to say, yes, God, I'm coming? Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Y'all, this is probably one of the hardest things to do because here's the thing. Is trusting God means you have to let go of your desire to be in control? (laughs) Do you trust God with your relationships? Do you trust God with your finances? Do you trust God with your job? Do you trust God with your friendships? Do you trust God? That whatever he says... There was There's a pastor by the name David Platt. When he first took over uh, this church in Georgia, he's no longer there. Uh, he's moved on to another church. But when he first took over this church in Georgia, mag, massive mega church, over 5,000 people, right? And, and God put it on his heart, I think within the first few years, they had $500,000 in their savings account. I wouldn't know what to do with myself, right? As a church, they had $500,000 in their savings account. They were about to build a well in like India somewhere, one well. While he was at home, he was praying, and I I think he even said something like he fell asleep and woke up to a dream, you know, from a dream, and he knew in his heart, we need to empty our savings account and build all 21 wells that this organization needs to build. He's, it was a Baptist church, so they had a committee. And so he had. Could you imagine going to the financial committee and saying, hey, listen, I know we have half a million dollars in our savings account. By the way, I want to drain our savings account and I want to build 21 wells in 21 communities in India for the glory of the gospel of Jesus? <laughs> Please say yes. <laughs> because that sounds nuts. Just from a financial business side, this sounds idiocracy. What you, We have been saving money. We have been do, We're doing so well. You. What? What if? What if? What if? Like half the church leaves and we don't have the finances to pay the bills? What if? What if this? And what if that? Do we trust God? And they said, okay, five hundred thousand dollars to build twenty-one wells in a place they'll never visit for the glory of the gospel of God. When I talk about what God can do through people, through you, it's not just at churches. And I want to fill this place up and then turn it over and fill it over again. Why? Because I want to see souls saved. But you know what? I would rather have five people that love Jesus and are willing to give everything they have to go change a community, because we will, than a hundred people fill a room just to play church. Trust in God. And it's not easy, but we trust in him. I trusted him for the church. It's when I had to make the decision to no longer be full-time here. You think that was an easy decision for somebody who's been full-time for over 13 years of his life? The only career I've ever known is pastoring full-time, real career. And now I've got to make the decision to say, nope. It wasn't, well, I'll take this back. It was easy because I was trusting in God. That when I woke up the next morning and God said, you know what you got to do? You can no longer take a pay, a full-time paycheck from the church right now. Not saying forever. I believe I'll be back here full-time at some point. But right now, you've got to trust me. Okay? I trust you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Focus defines your goals, it defines your gifts, your gratitude, your giving, and settles your soul on the direction of the purpose of your calling. When you are focused on a direction, everything else, all that white noise means nothing. So when you focus on God, he starts to relay why you're here. Worship is a focus on God. Worship, the second thought, is a decision making. It's a decision. You choose to worship. You don't believe me? Deuteronomy 30, 19. I probably spoke this three times this year already. I call the heavens of the earth to witness about you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, do what? Choose. Choose life so that you may, you and your descendants may live. Worship is a product of the decisions that pour out of our heart. That's why... We need to focus so much on the importance of decision-making. To me, it's so critical to our functioning that I call it a spiritual discipline of decision-making. You have to be able to make decisions that are biblically-based and spiritually sound. You want to worship God? Make better decisions. Because you're, listen, once again, what is the definition of worship? It is honoring and respecting God with how we live our life. So the decisions that we make tell God what we think of him, right? Right? When we abuse our body on any form, shape, or level, we tell God the body that He designed isn't worthy of being treated well. When we treat people poorly, we tell God that the people that He has spoken into existence are not worthy of being treated well. Why? Because they treated me bad? But the Bible says otherwise. It says, Love my neighbor, love my enemy, pray for them, speak goodness over them. It's a choice. Worship is not an outcome of our circumstances, but of our choice to run to God no matter what. I would say this. In the worst of our circumstances is when we should worship the most. And yet it's one of the hardest times that we have. Why? Because the enemy's got us. Oh, look at him. Rodney's angry. Here we go. Watch him blow his top. And then he throws some worship music on and it settles his spirit. And then he goes, no, no, don't do, don't do, cuss, fight, yell, scream. Like the enemy is there to like get you off track and to get you off focus. And so when we make, worship is our, is, is focused on God. And then it is a decision-making. So he can, he can sit there and go, oh, you don't understand stupid bills and stupid jobs and da, 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 da. And they just got me this way. Or. I trust God. See, it's a decision. And, and, and the world tells us, oh, it's okay. Just let the emotions out. Rawr. God says emotions are okay, but they're never meant to be your God. And so your decision-making in that moment is so key to your view on God and worship. That doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have a bad day. It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to make a bad decision. It just means that our focus and the the core of who we are is focused on, I'm going to make decisions not based off of what my feelings, my emotions, my, my circumstances are, but the God that I trust and the God that I serve. Worship is not the outcome of circumstance. It is a choice. Every day we wake up with choices. We choose to run to God. Romans twelve one and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. When somebody pleads with you, it's kind of important. If I plead with you for something, man, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, please listen to me, please, Blake, I'm, I'm begging you. It's going to get his attention, Hopefully. <laughs> That when, 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 when I come, and I, and I, ah, just give me your time for just one second. So here's Paul, and he's writing the book of Romans. Now, this is important, right? He says, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. <laughs> Because we have twisted these words so much. Oh, you obese people, you don't worship God right. It's preached and churched. You got tattoos. You've marked up your temple. You horrible, horrible sinners. You've got, you've got. You, here's the funny part. We don't have issues with piercings and ears because those are like normal, but, but you've pierced your nose and, and other parts of bodies and, and, and how dare you? Sean's got belly button piercing. I'm sure. Um. (laughs) See, we focus on all of these outward things. Like that's going to matter when we get to heaven. Bible says we're going to have heavenly body, right? I do believe that the Bible does speak to treating our bodies properly. We should eat healthier. We should get proper amount of sleep. We should have mental health awareness. All of those things are extremely important because the Bible says that, that how we treat this body is very important. But if we're judging people's souls solely based off of the outward appearance, who the heck are we? So Romans 12 isn't about like, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to judge whether or not you're a good worshiper just based on how you look. Please don't do that. I had to shave my beard. That changes how I worship. Right? Listen, if I look differently when I got facial hair. I think I look better, okay? So if, if outward appearance is how we, how we judge people's value of worship, then I'm messed up for the next couple of weeks until it all grows back in. It was never meant about that. What he was saying was, listen, the way you live your life is so important, not just to come into church and play church, not just to come in and listen to some pastor or listen to three songs and and leave and go have lunch, but truly to make a decision every single day that we live. When I wake up, I'm going to focus on God. How I live my life is an act of worship. So when, 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 when my coworker gets me ticked off, instead of cussing them out, I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to breathe and I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to pray for a moment. Whether it's out loud or in my head, it doesn't matter. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to give me the right words. And maybe those words are just shut up. Don't, don't say anything. It's a decision. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this. Two of the shortest verses in the Bible. Always be joyful is verse 16. Never stop praying is verse 17. Two really great pieces of advice. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Always be joyful. Never stop. When those two things go hand in hand, it changes the outlook of your day. Well, I can't be happy all the time. Happy is not joyful. Happy is an emotion. Joyful is a decision. Joyful doesn't mean you walk around with one of those fake, you know, uh, Santa Claus 2, the fake Santa. Some of y'all remember when, when Tim Allen made that fake Santa, and he always walked around like, that's not joy. That's creepy. Joy says you can't steal what God is doing in my life. Joy says that even in the hardest of moments, I trust God, and and I know that he's got my best for me. It doesn't mean that you're not sad at times. Like, I think sometimes we think, like, oh, if you're joyful, you can't be struggling mentally. You can't be struggling with sadness. You can't have a bad day or, or anger. No, no, no. Joyful can have all of those mixed in, but they trust God, and they don't allow the emotion to overwhelm them. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. You got mental health issues? Guess what? Always be joyful, never stop praying. Because when you do that, you don't give the mental health issues the worthy spot. They may be there. You may struggle with it. You may have bad days. But when you're always joyful and then you never stop praying, God is in the middle of it. So that's just the first two. Verse 18 says this, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Decisions. Worship is a decision. It is how I live my life every single day. When you go back to work, Brooke, you have a decision. Those kids, they're going to be who they are every single day. (laughs) Teachers in here, you know, like like they're going to be who they are. You have a decision. What kind of teacher are you going to be? What kind of friend are you going to be? What kind of coworker or boss are you going to be? Decisions. And I believe with the decisions that you make, it's the act of worship. The God is actually looking at that and going, oh, they're getting it. They're getting it because the decisions they're making today are showing honor to me, and that's worship. I believe you could come in here and you could raise your hands and you could be very far from God. I believe you could come in here and you could cry tears of, of oh, it just touched me, and be very far from God. I do. Because if you're not making decisions that honor God the rest of the time out there, what good is this? Joel uh, Joel Houston, the lead singer for Hillsong United, said this. If the decisions that we're making inside these four walls aren't changing the paths that we get here, then we're doing it wrong. And if what I'm doing outside isn't changing who we are in here, and if it's not drawing people to the goodness of God, then we're missing it. It's decisions. Decisions, decisions, decisions are an act of worship. Lastly, worship is an experience. Psalms 34.8. I'm going to give it to you in two different translations because I I love the way the second one says it, but I think a lot of you are going to know it this way. So Psalms 34.8, and we probably heard it if you were in kids' ministry at all, in any way, shape, or form, you heard this because they had hand motions, right? Taste and see. Okay, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Now, I want you to look at uh, the way that the Passion Translation says it. It says this drink deeply of the pleasures of this God, experience for yourself the joyous mercies He gives to all who turn to hide themselves in Him. Drink deeply of his pleasure and experience for yourself the joys of his mercy. This is active. Would you rather watch baseball or play it? Play it. Nine times out of 10. Watching baseball sometimes is like watching paint dry. I love baseball to death, but, but like, and, and I'll say this, watching it live is different than watching it on TV. Okay, watching it live is far more enjoyable. I don't know why, but it is. Um, But but it's like football. You might like watching it. I love playing it. If you're a musician, I I like listening to music. I love playing it. Why? Because in everything we do, we were meant to experience it. Can I tell you where the problem of the church lies is that we have taught you how to watch it. Worship was good. They were good. Pastors, okay. Worship was good. You know, oh, you know, I don't like the lighting. Why is the stage high? It's because he's short, isn't it? All the while, I'm just, I'm just, I just want to, I just want to soak it in. I want to take it in. Hey, we need some people to help serve. Ooh, yeah, no, I don't like kids. Who said anything about kids? Yeah, when you ask to serve, it's normally with kids. I don't want kids. Sorry. Hey, we're going to have a prayer night. Ooh, yeah, I don't do prayers. Those are boring. See, we have taught church to be a watch instead of an experience. Now, if I ask how many of you undeniably want God to move in your life, I think most of us would say, ooh, 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 me, me, me. How many of you are willing to fight for it? Experience. Be uncomfortable in the pushing in. How many of you would be willing to to speak out loud with your voice and pray? Oh, you mean with people? (laughs) Anybody ever seen that meme? The one with, ooh, 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 what, what, what? People. See, we don't get what God has for us unless we're willing to press in press in and experience it. Oh, it's real easy to sit out here and go, I-, I want God to I want, bless me, Father. The Bible just says to open up my arms and take what I want. That, what? <laughs> is that in the book of you? What translation is that? Meism? See, see. Here's <laughs> that's why I said, I'm not a name it and claim it pastor. Listen, you may never see or experience the miracle that you think you need. I think the the, the big miracles were like like where you know arms grow back. <laughs> They're really cool. Listen, and I've watched some really amazing miracles. I've prayed for people, and, and cancers have been healed. I've, I've been in, in meetings where demons-possessed people have, have had demons cast out. I've prayed demons out of people. So listen, when I say this stuff, I'm not like some, like, when I say Pentecostal light, it's not that I don't believe in the move of God. I'm not going to force some fakeness on you, and we're not going to, like, become, like, pew-jumping crazy people just for God to move. He doesn't need that. He's God. He doesn't need you to do anything except to be willing and experience it. You want to fill a church up with non-believers, because I think that's key to the factor, because it's really easy to fill a church up with believers. I want to fill up the church with people that don't know him so that they do know him, and then we go do it again. And it's not a knock on any church in this town or across the nation or across the world, but the reality is it's real easy to get really spiritual and draw all these believers and go, let's just have ourselves a really good Christian time. The gospel is never about Christians getting together and having themselves a good Christian time. Very little bit of their time was spent together building each other. Typically, if they were, listen, if I was going to church, my goal was to at least bring one person with me. Ah, yep, you're coming with me. Come on. Because, yep. <laughs> Because listen, here's the thing. It, listen, the church doesn't grow like it did in the New Testament in the book of Acts when you went by yourself. Like, we would get excited if like five people came in th- next week new. We would be like, oh my God, we have new people. Help, come on, let's go, Rodney, let's go greet them. Hi, we've got new people. <laughs> He's like, this is a little bit of help. All right. Uh, see, we would get that excited. We'd be like, new people! This was normal for them. Why? Because inside of them, they were experiencing the goodness of God. That everywhere they went, the people were just like, what the heck is, what do you have that I don't? When Peter and John went before the religious leaders and they said, you're idiots. But the one that seriously, that's what they said, Um, because it says they're unschooled. They were dumb. You are unschooled men. But what we do know is this. They've been with Jesus. They experienced something that this world cannot offer. They've experienced something that nobody, there's nothing that you can do. No, no, you cannot create a miracle. John, I don't know the last time you've ever seen anybody speak to dirt and a human formed. I've never seen that. When we experience God, we don't wanna come alone. Like I said, if five people showed up next week, we'd be like, oh, new people, this is awesome, we're growing. They would have thousands coming new. Could you imagine one day showing up in your parking spot was not only taken, but you had to park down at the Y-Mart? Not going to church now. A parking spot. Then you get here and, it's, "Oh, that person's sitting in my seat." You know it. Listen, some of you haven't ever experienced the, the, the church from another uh, seat. This is my seat. This is where I sit. And if somebody was there, what would you do? Uh, you'd do the nice thing. and Oh, I've got to find somewhere else. Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, because we're creatures of habit. And I'm asking you, If you really want to experience God, sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone and you have to be willing to press in. The next time we have a prayer night, man, I want this place filled. Not because I want to feel good about filling the place. I want to feel good about people pressing into Jesus. I want you to experience the goodness of God. The worshiper was never meant to watch but experience. One of our core values is we were not created to be consumers but contributors. Contributors. I'm going to talk about that in a few weeks. We were not created for others to pray our prayers, worship for us, live out our faith. You were were created to contribute, and it starts with a worshipful lifestyle to God. Stop letting people pray your prayers. Stop letting the worship team worship for you. Stop letting people live your faith out. And I challenge you, tomorrow, try to be 1% stronger in your faith than you were today. Don't try to be 100%, I'm going to be 100% better. No, you're not. Shut up. You're going to be 1%. Just try to be 1% better. Maybe, maybe Maybe it's a simple thing like praying for five minutes every day. Reading your word. Throwing a worship song on when you get home. Praying with your spouse. Maybe it's starting a Bible study during lunch. You were meant to be a contributor. And if you want to experience God in a new way, start to contribute to the kingdom. We don't have a piano player, so Eric, if you would throw some worship music up. I want to, I want to, it's about time that we would end normally. I'm not going to go too much longer, I promise. But I was studying last night, just kind of going, re-going over my message, and I remembered this story in Ezekiel, and I want to leave you with this encouragement, what Ezekiel saw in a vision. Ezekiel 47, there we go, Ezekiel, I I got it marked anyways, it it wasn't going to go anywhere, but Ezekiel 47, so he's, he's in this middle of this vision, right, and it says, the man brought me Back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. In other words, here, here's the thing: God's He's saying, this, this man in this vision brought him to the church house. And from the church house he saw a river flowing from it. For the temple faced east, the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, and he led me through the water, and it was knee deep. He measured me off another thousand and led me through the water and it was up to my waist and he measured off another thousand but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross and he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river when, he, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river and he said to me, this water flows towards the east region and goes down to the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. Where when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh and swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. And so where the river flows, everything will live. The river of God starts in the church. We wonder why... A- our communities and our, and our world is so starving is because we only allow a trickle out of the church. What does it say? He said, he said, I measured off a thousand cubits, 1,750 feet and it was ankle deep. And here's the problem. So many of us as believers, that's as far as we go. We're like, Ooh, it feels good. It's kind of cold. It's chilly. Like you know, when you go into a lake and you're like, Ooh, I don't want to go all the way in. It's way too cold. So we stay there and it's like, ah, I feel chill. I feel good. I feel it's cooling off my body, but I don't have to get all the way in. And so we stop there spiritually at our ankles and we go, I got enough of God. I love Jesus. I'm getting into heaven. But it says, no, no, no. He, t- he took me another 1,750 feet and now I'm knee deep. Oh, I still got control, but I'm starting to understand who God is in my life. It says they marked off another 1,750 feet and he was waist deep. Now that's that moment where you have to commit, right? Because <laughs> it starts to get to your waist, and I don't care who you are, you start to like, <sighs> It Says, then he measured off another 1,750 feet, and now it's too deep to walk. Now he's got to swim. Now you've got a decision to make. Am I all in, or am I going to go back to where it's comfortable? Am I going to go where God leads me? Or am I going to draw back to what he, what, what, uh, oh, I, I just, I'm, you know what? Hey, look, I went, I'm going to church. I'm good. And I'm asking you, listen, we're all at different levels. So if you're at ankle deep, what, 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 does it cost you to, to strive in and maybe go to knee deep? If you're knee deep, what does it cost you to maybe challenge yourself to go to waste? I'm asking you, what level of experience are you with God? And where, what are you willing to do to experience some more? Because the world will go where we follow. We're following Jesus. Because what did he say? He said, it's going to enter into the Dead Sea. None of us have been to Jerusalem or, or, or Israel, I'm sure. The Dead Sea is dead for a reason. There's no outlets. You literally can float on it. The salt content is so much that you literally can lay down, and without trying, you just float. It's kind of cool. Because there's no interest. And things don't live. It's dead for a reason. And what he's saying is where dead things are when God, when God goes, he makes things alive. What's dead in your life that you need to allow God's life to come back in? It comes with you experiencing and stepping out. Maybe you need to get ankle deep. Maybe you need to get knee deep or waist deep. Some of us, you're we, we ready for God to let you swim. Let's change the world. By experiencing Jesus, Will you pray with me. God today was not about just some word coming into our heart and making us, oh, this was good. God, I pray that you would challenge us to change. We would leave this morning going, "I need to experience Jesus. Not just church, not just people. Not just a good moment. God, I need to experience you every single day. That worship is putting our focus on you, God. So I pray for those that they're having that tough time. Maybe, maybe they're walking through something really tough and they've had a hard time focusing on you. God, I pray that you would help them. God, speak your truth over them. God, that you would isolate them from that, from that circumstance for a moment just enough to speak to their very soul and say, trust me. Worship is decision-making. We wake up every morning and every day, and we make decisions. God, this is who I want to be. This is where I want to go. This is who I want to follow. So, God, I pray that our decisions are biblically faced, spiritually sound, and holy through its thought process. We choose you in our decision-making. Lastly, God, we experience you. I don't want to be a church that just goes through the motions. I don't want to be a church that just comes and, 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 and we walk through it. But God, we experience it. We experience it on Monday and Thursday and Saturday and Sunday. God, we experience you. I pray for those that are ankle deep. God, that they would be willing to go knee deep in you. Eventually, where we're just jumping in. We're speaking to the dead things come alive in Christ. Dead things would strip off of us. We'd find your wholeness. God, I pray miracles in our life and not necessarily the big ones that we can see, but God, even just the tiny ones of of how our heart and our mind shift and change towards you. That's a miracle. Trusting you with every single breath of our being. We love you. God, I pray that we would go and change the world this week. And even if it's just as simple as opening a door or letting somebody know that God loves them, God, that we would change somebody's moment, point them to you. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor in all God's people said in mighty, Jesus' mighty name, amen.